Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, my name is Jeremy Casebeer, and this is Our Impact, the show that explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can scale positive outcomes and solutions. Today's episode is brought to you by Fat Tire Amber Ale, America's first carbon neutral beer, and one of my favorite brands. They've been B Corp certified since 2013 and the first brewery to join 1% for the planet. To learn more about their initiatives around sustainability, visit drinksustainably.com. My guest today is Forrest Shearer. Forrest is a professional snowboarder who from the beginning has been at the forefront of self-powered backcountry freeriding or splitboarding. He's also been very intentional about his career as an athlete, supporting nonprofits like Protect Our Winters and working with responsible brands like Fat Tire, Patagonia, and Cliff Bar. The reason I was fired up to talk with Forrest is because walking the line between making a living as a professional athlete and doing it in a way that aligns with your values and has a tangible impact is something I'm trying to figure out myself, and it's no easy task. Sports and the role of professional athletes have unique position in our society, where athletes can be seen as nonpartisan and trusted messengers. The collective reach of professional athletes using their social media to support campaigns can be in the millions. Protect Our Winners realize this and have done a lot of strong work to raise awareness and rally the outdoor industry to create systemic change by voting for politicians that support common sense policies that will help to protect our winters and natural environments for generations to come. I hope you enjoy our episode. <laughs> All right. guess that's good. Forrest Shearer, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. It's great to be here. Uh, love the podcast. Big fan. Uh, listening to one so far. So um, like what you're doing. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a really fun process so far to get to talk to people like yourself and kind of learn from your experience and see how we can work towards a little more impact. Um, so yeah, as a professional snowboarder, working with a ton of cool brands and different environmental projects, Protect Our Winners, which we'll get into love to hear just a little bit of background kind of where you grew up what was a typical day like when you're younger yeah so i grew up in southern california um sleepy beach town uh dana point area yeah for me it was kind of surfing and skateboarding from a super young age um the ocean was kind of my first introduction to wilderness um you know as a kid anything that you could get your hands on and um i felt like a surfboard and a skateboard were those ones for me that the ocean was free and with the skateboard all you needed was the board and some concrete so those were those were really quick adaptable sports for me in a way to kind of put creativity into things and just kind of free form with with friends and and just kind of going out and, and enjoying childhood is kind of like what you know a lot of us remember that it was you know definitely things have changed now but it was just such a fun time and such a uh a formative era for action sports and for music and yeah. for you know um surfing and skateboarding did that start that in kind like of, elementary school for you or yeah yeah that, that started in elementary school um started doing surf contests kind of between elementary school kind of uh from age like eight to 15. And yeah, it kind of got burnt out on Southern California as a young kid and kind of wanted to see what else was out there. Um, I easily could have gone down the route of a lot of my friends that became pro surfers, but I kind of chose to do something else. And um, for me, 
my name was Forrest, so I was kind of drawn <laughs> to the mountains, and it was just kind of a natural, you know, to see what was else was out there. Um, Southern California is such a great place to grow up, but definitely didn't see myself um, planting roots there and figure, you know, the ocean will always be there. And um, yeah, I was drawn towards the mountains and kind of took my love for both surfing and skateboarding and combined that into snowboarding. Right on. And what was the progression like from, you know, I remember those first few trips when I went to Mammoth and I grew up skating and surfing and that wasn't anything close to competition or anything, but those first few trips and starting to get the feel for the mountain, getting your kind of bearings. How did you kind of make that progression from, you know, young ripper to getting towards being a professional and competing or getting paid by sponsors? Um, you know, it was a natural progression, like anything. I think it, for me, it was, um, the drive and the work ethic to kind of pursue something and kind of pursue it until it was a, a make or break moment. I kind of cut my teeth snowboarding in the Salt Lake City area at uh, the ski resort Snowbird in Brighton. Um, just was like a snowboard bum like most kids and, <laughs> you know, lived, lived and breathed being in the mountains and worked at the ski resort and kind of that whole deal. And yeah, it was just such an incredible time and, you know, right place at the right time, obviously, but just meeting a good crew of people and kind of just the evolution of, of uh, yeah, where I was at with my snowboarding and kind of just constantly looking for something new. Started in the snowboard park and on the mountain like most kids and kind of was drawn to bigger mountains and kind of using the terrain of a ski resort and some of these bigger mountains to kind of be able to draw kind of surf and skateboard lines on natural terrain. And that was something that really called out to me to be able to take the creativity that I found in surfing and skateboarding and, and adapt that to snow. And I think um, that's kind of where I really was able to kind of find my, my niche there. And I remember hearing some stories about how you, when I was doing some research for this conversation, how you would test some big jumps in the backcountry by just hucking snowballs and hucking rocks across ledges and massive gaps to see if kind of what the speed would be like. Yeah, exactly. That was, yeah, that was a, a, such a rad time of uh, kind of before, I mean, obviously X games and a lot of these competitions and, and where we're at right now has been there. But I think at that point in time, um, the jumps weren't quite big enough. So I think, you know, where we were finding the opportunity in these backcountry settings was a, a place to, to build our own natural um, snowboard parks. And it was finding these areas of natural gap jumps that, you know, from a, a takeoff and a landing that matched up really well. And we were just kind of literally using gravity and finding <laughs> these lines that, that we gravitated towards, but that were worked well with, um, you know, hundred foot plus errors and trying to find these ideal Jeez. spots and, and using the terrain to our advantage to, to, to continue the, the momentum of the sport. So it was just a really cool time. And I was at the forefront of all these big gap jumps in Utah and really yeah. kind of taking the snowboarding to, you know, in turn to where we're at today. And, I think the kids kind of took it to the next level with um, the tricks and taking it into multiple spins and flips. Wow. And is that kind of 
the time in the backcountry doing those big jumps? Is that kind of the progression or how you kind of got into split boarding and maybe share just a little bit about what split boarding is compared to kind of traditional park and mountain riding? Yeah, I, I think for me, it was, um, you know, I could only, you can only go so big and you can only do so many spins and flips. And I kind of felt it was a time for me to kind of think out the box and, um, yeah, I think it was my background and always wanting to try something new and keep the evolution of, of, of movement and learning for me. And I, I felt it was, yeah, I kind of knew about split boarding a little bit, but it was, um, an introduction for me to, to totally try something new. I think it was, um, I was approached by one of the magazine editors from one of the snowboard mags and they had mentioned, um, there was a climber slash snowboarder that was in the Sierra Nevada and they were doing a film project that season. And it was, um, the film was called my own two feet and anyone was invited. Um, meaning, you know, being and meaning that, you know, probably a lot of people were, didn't even want to do this because they were so set in their ways, but it was, um, you could either go on your own two feet, you could wear snowshoes, you could ride a split board or just hike. So it was a great opportunity to go to uh, new areas, whether that was like a mountain peak in your backyard that you always looked at, um, an area across the street from your ski resort or some far off mountain range. And um, these are places that in the past we weren't allowed to use a snowmobile or a helicopter to go to um, wilderness areas or just spots that, you know, were so far out there and, um, split boarding was kind of the vehicle to do that. And a split board, if anyone's not familiar with that is a snowboard that splits in half to two pairs of skis, your snowboard bindings that you're on the board, standing sideways, slide off, go into ski mode, and you're able to walk up the mountain, um, under your own means by putting a, a skin on the bottom of the ski that uh, sticks one way and slides the other way. So, like, so essentially al- alpine skiing. Yeah. Wow. And so it was this whole new idea for us as snowboarders to kind of combine mountaineering and mountain climbing and skiing and, um, and in, add that into our snowboarding. And it was just this totally new thing for me and a lot of my friends that we figured out during this film project that, you know, literally opened up a whole new world for us. So it was such an incredible time. Yeah. I imagine the new terrain and new spots that you could get, get into, like you said, some of the other places were a little more restricted and you couldn't get there via helicopter or snowmobile and all the extra work to get there. Like how, I mean, for, I'm sure it varies quite a bit, but for like a 30 second or one minute ride down, that could be hours and hours of work to get up. So you probably enjoy it a lot more and appreciate the effort that you have to put in to get those lines and turns in, right? Yeah, I think everything was a lot more meaningful from that point on. I mean, sometimes we're hiking all day for just one line or, you know, or sometimes that might not even work out. So it's having this deeper connection for the mountain and moving at a slower pace. So you're not only... um, doing your own avalanche mitigation out there and snow safety, but you're also paying a lot more attention to the trees around you and to what's going on with the environment and seeing firsthand how seasons change. And sometimes winter can be plentiful and others um, no snow at all. So it was definitely a, a wake up moment 
And I feel that that watershed point in time for myself and a few others that we were seeing changes firsthand and it was an opportunity to, to do something about it. Um, so yeah, I think splitboarding, it, it definitely, it, it really takes it to, to another level and it, and it opened up a lot for, for snowboarders and in turn kind of um, we were able to share that with our peers. And you mentioned that you got to see some of the changes a lot more, obviously, if you're hiking up hours all day long versus taking a snowmobile or helicopter or a ski lift up, you get to see those changes and actually understand uh, what's happening. Is that kind of what led to the creation of Protect Our Winters? Yeah, yeah. I think it was firsthand being able to witness what was happening around us and going to certain areas year after year, Alaska being one of them. Um, Jeremy's one of my main riding partners, and that's kind of where he cut his teeth with the evolution of big mountain riding. And Jeremy's been at the forefront of it for, you know, um, over 20 years now. And I think uh, with, we, we did this, this first film on splitboarding and kind of the precursor to that was um, Deeper, Further, Higher. And that was um, three films over six years. And that really threw fire on, you know, the fire pit for sure. uh, more wood and really, you know, stoked splitboarding and really launched it into what it is today. But uh, yeah, I think it was definitely the impetus of what we were seeing out there and wanting to do something about it. That was a big one and really, you know, influencing the companies that we worked for at the time and, you know, and the outdoor industry this, you know, still today, I, I mean, it's catching on now, but, you know, I think then, you know, 10 years ago, it was like less than 10% or 5% of uh, these outdoor brands that were giving back. So. Yeah, it was time to, to light a fire under their asses for sure. Yeah, on previous episodes, I got to talk with Andy Fife from B-Lab and uh, Peter Daring from Climate Neutral. So it's really cool to see how these third-party certifications are kind of giving a, some structure and a process for brands that want to take those next steps and look at their environmental and social impacts and kind of take responsibility for it through third-party certifications. And as a professional athlete, I mean, you have to not only compete and in your case, create badass films, but also work with uh, brands and sponsors. And it seems like you've been super intentional about that. Who are you working with and what are you kind of looking for when you partner with a brand? You know, um, today I'm working with pretty lucky and fortunate to, to partner with the brands I'm with today with um, Fat Tire, Jones Snowboards, Patagonia, Cliff Bar, Yeti, a lot of good companies that, that are doing awesome great companies. things, you know, H- Hester Gloves. And I, uh, these brands definitely, they not only care, and that's kind of why I decided to partner with them, but they're making products that um, that last. Yeah. So I think that's another good point. If you're not uh, looking into eco-friendly materials, you're going to make a product that's going to last for an, an entirety and, and, it, and it will stand up to the test of time. But I mean, when I first started, I mean, I was a dirtbag snowboarder and it was... <laughs> I, I had decided that the only way I could continue to snowboard and be out there, you know, climbing these mountains was to get like food sponsorships, sure. something to, something <laughs> to sustain me, you yeah. know, and it was like 
brands like Cliff Bar that I've been working with for over 10 years longer, um, Sambazon, Acai, yeah. uh, Gu- Guayaki, Yerba Mate, yeah. really cool brands that were on the, the forefront of, um, of making change for sure. So you mentioned working with Fat Tire, who's the sponsor of this first five episodes of Our Impact. And I reached out to them last summer when I first heard about them becoming America's first carbon neutral beer. My last name is obviously Case Beer. My dream has always been to have a, you know, a beer sponsor and to have to get to work with the, America's first carbon neutral beer is kind of like a dream come true. How did you start working with Fat Tire? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you there. Incredible company. Um, I'm pretty fortunate to be working with Fat Tire. You know, it was through my snowboarding career and teaming up with like-minded brands that, that give a shit. And yeah. that tire has jumped into the, the snowboard and, and outdoor, outdoor industry a little bit more. And it was just a perfect time for me to team up with them to obviously help continue the momentum of, that they've drawn. I mean, Fat Tire and New Belgium were kind of early adapters as a private company and being able to give back to their employees and, and come out with obviously a cool product. I mean, everyone loves beer, but really do it for, for the right reasons, you know, and, and they've really shown that you can make good beer and you could do it, you know, in a sustainable way in terms of America's first climate neutral beer. I think that's such a rad, you know, tagline. And I think, you know, long-term, the reason why a lot of these brands, Patagonia, that tire how even is, is to implement other brands and other nonprofits to make changes them, themselves and to really show what's obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and it is possible. Obviously things, you know, at first may cost more money, but I think in the long-term, the benefits are going to far away out the cost for sure. Yeah. And that was one thing I got to interview Katie Wallace in the first episode. She's the director of environmental and social impact for Fat Tire New Belgium. And that was exactly what she said. She's like, our time horizon is, you know, 50, hundred years. We're not looking for quarterly returns at the end of 2021. We want to make long-term investments that help the business add value to the business, the community, our employees, and the customers while, like you said, creating a kick-ass product that's delicious and who can who can't get behind good beer that does some good for the community and for the world. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, even if I wasn't a partner in these brands that I work with, I, I would still be buying their products anyway, exactly. because I, I believe in that same ethos and, you know, I think it, it shows for sure. So yeah, no, no big, big shout out to fat tire and love the work they're doing and look forward to really moving the needle with them in the future for sure. Very nice. And we touched yeah. on Protect Our Winners a little bit. Can you give a little bit of background on what Protect Our Winners is for people that may not know and kind of how you're working with them? Yeah, Protect Our Winners is a nonprofit started by Jeremy Jones. Um, I think 2007, potentially. So they work with, we started in um, snow sports and kind of branched out to the outdoor community and really engaging in athletes and companies to to implement change from a political um, systemic level all the way from DC all the way down to our daily lives of, of really trying to make a dent in climate change and to make an impact for good so 
Uh, and one thing as I, when I first came across protect, our winters is so cool. Cause not only do you get all these awesome athletes, snowboarders, skiers, trail runners, basically any type of athlete you can imagine in the outdoor industry, but the approach is really interesting. Like you mentioned, seems to focus on the policy on one hand and helping elect politicians, both Democrat and Republican who support, you know, conservation, a price on carbon, renewable energy, kind of common sense, uh, policies for the environment, but then also leverage the platforms of these athletes to get this information to a broader audience to really kind of activate the outdoor community. So that was one thing really cool is I've been trying to kind of figure that out on my own. Like, what can I do in my sport of volleyball and use my platform working with brands and what you've done and what protect our winners has done has been like a shining example going through some of the stats are just absurd. How many people have been reached through content and through voting campaigns as well in 2016, 2020. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, speaking of the voting campaigns, I think during Obama's term, I think he had mentioned POW and what they were doing on an advocacy level, (laughs) which was so incredible at the time. And, you know, I think what POW has done is is taken an ode from action sports and, and a way to kind of reach people in their houses and kind of on a level of you know, climate, climate change isn't, it shouldn't be a partisan issue, you know, it's nonpartisan and we all, you know, relate to the outdoors. It's like, whether you don't need to even need to snowboard or ski or, you know, climb a mountain or trail run. I mean, there's something that we could all agree on, you know, and we all love to go on a hike. You could be into fly fishing. You could be into going camping or, you know, having a snowball fight. I think it was really that, that middle ground, um, in place where we could all have a conversation whether we uh, agree on something or not and it was such a powerful tool that pal provided for us to kind of reach these people that we don't normally talk to going and lobbying in dc and really just being able to have an honest conversation and and really talk about these big issues and, and find that middle ground and work on ways towards you know, go, moving towards renewables and really getting everyone on board. And that really showed in, in this last election with the midterms and then this last one. So, yeah, it was cool. I saw Purple Mountains. Uh, I think that was through Protect Our Winners and Jeremy Jones produced yeah. it. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a great movie. He basically goes to all these purple states where it's very liberal, very Republican, but it's all these outdoor states that could swing either way. And he basically went there. It's like, look, this is, this is what I'm all about. This is what I value. I love snowboarding. I spend my time. I grew up in the mountains and he's just having these honest conversations with people with different viewpoints. And it's not about, you know, left, right. It's just about how do we protect this for generations to come? How are we able to figure out what we value and see what makes sense? which I think is very much missing in most of today's conversations. One thing I've been trying to figure out too, is like, there's, everyone seems to have a different opinion, but it seems like to get towards kind of systemic, large, large change, it kind of, there's a couple of different ways. You got your individual action, collective community action, role of businesses, and then you get towards policy and kind of systemic change at the government or international level. I'm curious how you kind of think about individuals, communities, business, and policy kind of all tying together. Everything starts on a grassroots level. And I think when it comes down to it, where where do you see your lever and where do you see yeah. your role being the most valuable? And I, I think it really starts with 
you know, finding that crew of, of friends and, and really gaining momentum behind something that you're passionate about. And I, I think that's a really big one because a lot of people have great ideas and have the energy to want to get behind a cause, but they they may be, you know, out of reach or, you know, not close by something that they're passionate about. Yeah. So, so I think it, it really starts with finding those friends and that crew to, to rally around. But um, with my work and going to DC and to lobbying with Pal, I've kind of felt that having these conversations with politicians and being able to talk about um, big advocacy issues and turning climate change into a nonpartisan issue, I think it's, I I feel my lever has been the most beneficial there and being able to influence the brands that I work for and in turn share stuff on social and kind of, yeah, move the needle there. Uh, the, uh, the platforms of professional athletes and their ability, like you said, to sway and kind of help nudge sponsors along is really cool. That's something I've started to notice uh, in some brands I'm talking to. If they're not already sustainably minded or have some sort of climate action plan in place, can you make an introduction to climate neutral or 1% or B Corp um, or FSC? And yeah, a lot of it's totally. a lack of information. They don't, lots of people and lots of brands don't know where to begin. So getting that information out there is huge. Yeah, I think it really is. And, you know, speaking even as a consumer or on social and these big issues that we're seeing now with diversity. And I, I think with bringing everyone to the table, it's so easy to you know, if a, a company that you're supporting or you're following isn't doing something, it, it's very quick, you know, to for us to be able to call these people out and, you know, to, to really move the needle there. And I, I think a lot of us now, we're at that point where we're moving so quickly at, with where we're at. I think it's, you know, get on the, get on the train or get off. So, yeah. yeah. When I was doing some research, I came across a, uh, protect our winners 2019 research papers and they've had these kind of takeaways that i just wanted to mention because they're so on point and like through all the stuff i've been trying to search for through different authors and podcasts and books this was just like so such a clear way to try and get that message to reach more people and be more effective in terms of talking about climate change versus avoid being overly political use climate experts who live outdoor lifestyles as trusted messengers like yourself respect the journey to activism, uh, which I think gets to the point that everyone's at different parts. Some people are measuring, reducing, offsetting their carbon footprint. Some people live zero trash or zero waste lifestyles. Other people are just learning about recycling. So encouraging people to get started wherever they are. I think it's huge. Acknowledge that we lived in an effed up system. I love that. (laughs) That's how they spelled it too. Like you mentioned, like there are plenty of imbalances that are systemic and that we do need to acknowledge. And then the last two are like what I think is kind of the golden, the golden ticket, make systemic solutions more personal and translate systemic impact into personal ones that people can understand. I've got a buddy who also plays and he's a content creator. He's like, understands social media better than almost anyone I know. And anytime I bring up sustainability, he's like, great. But what does that mean? What's a carbon footprint? Can I go plant some trees in the park? Can I get my hands dirty and actually do it? I'm like, well, you could, but that's not really how it works. Like there's a pretty in-depth measurement process. So he wants to make it tangible. Like, can I go spend a weekend or a day or a few hours and volunteer? 
And I feel like that's part of the problem is a lot of the conversations get pretty wonky pretty fast and people don't really understand it. And that's what I'm hoping these conversations kind of serve as and, you know, a little jumping off point. One little nugget kind of sticks with people and then they want to take a little bit deeper dive and look into what you're doing, looking to protect our winners and stuff like that. So, yeah, I just thought those are like so spot on and something I wish I saw much sooner in my uh, personal research. Yeah, I mean, we all play a role in this and um, there's a lot of weight and guilt that can that can be tossed around in, in trying to make a change and, you know, live an examined life. And I mean, we all can't, you know, live in a tree or live under a rock. We all exactly. have to continue living our life and um, having a family and doing our jobs. And I think it's really about doing what we can and doing things for the next generation. Well put, well put then. Yeah. All right. So on to the quick hitters, which are not so quick. So you can take them any direction you want. Yeah, totally. What is your go-to spot to get into nature? Local park, hike, mountain? go-to spot to get into nature. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people always ask me, where's my favorite place to snowboard? And it literally is every day with, with the right crew and just being able to share these places with, with friends and um, with people that are new to the mountains or new to snowboarding. I'm so content and really enjoy sharing that with others, but the Wasatch mountains in Utah, that's such a great one. It's a special spot. Um, in proximity to the city, it's literally 20 minutes. It's right there. So it's a great way for um, people to be introduced into wild places. And then on a grander scale this year in Nevada, um, it's such an incredible mountain range. I grew up there and um, that's kind of where I'm spending my time now. And it's incredible. So many peaks over 14,000 feet and it would take a lifetime to explore the whole range which yeah. just says that how, how cool the place is and how much space and um, wild mountains and uh, also that it's very um, threatened by climate change right now. And that's where a lot of our water comes from with the watershed. So yeah, now California is in a tough spot right now. Is there a daily routine or action that has had an outsized impact in your life? And I know everyone's get, has so many, uh, I guess, opinions or kind of morning routines, this and that, but it can be something, you know, as small as a favorite cup of tea or something or daily podcast or. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, meditation is a big one for me and kind of grounding myself and, um, you know, taking every day as it comes and yeah, just wanting to, to better the planet and to do my part with, um, getting that message out there. So I think that's, that's a, just a daily reminder for me and, um, thankful, for, for snowboarding and what I get to do and really share that with others. So that, that's a big one for me. Right on. The gratitude. Nice. Where do you get your information? Are there any magazines, websites, or authors you read regularly? I'd say the tools for grassroots activists. It was a Patagonia book that came out. I mean, that's been such a textbook for me. The authors are Nora Gallagher and Lisa Myers. So that's that's a great one for anyone that's into interested in getting into activism. It starts back in the '60s and goes up to our day and age. So uh, you know, Patagonia has done incredible work. I less demand more. Warren Ware supporting activism in the elections. Um, they recently contributed a million dollars 
for Georgia voting. So that was a really big one for, for voting rights. It's a really big one. But um, yeah, Tools for Grassroots Activists. Uh, the Overstory is a really good book that I got a lot of great info out of. That's on um, interrelationship with trees. So Overstory is a good one. Um, obviously, Project Drawdown. And then, uh, yeah, the, the All We Can Save book is a huge one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Great book. What are you most curious about right now? If you had a month sabbatical to research and go down any rabbit hole you want, what would it be? I mean, just continue to kind of have a, a deeper sense of, of my relationship to the outdoors and kind of continue down that path. A, a big eye-opener for me was um, going to Chamonix. And that's a, it, it's a ski destination and uh, mountain climbing for people that don't know in France. And they have a glacier there called the Mirror de Glace that has these plaques for the snow line. And literally you, you come out this glacier and off this backcountry area, take a gondola, ski down this glacier, and you come up to the staircase to get back to this train, to get back to town. And they started putting up these plaques, I believe, in 95 or 2000. And that's kind of where the snow line has receded on the glacier because it's been melting and literally you have to walk up i think like 20 25 flights of stairs right now so it's it's pretty eye-opening and definitely a wake-up call on how fast these these glaciers are melting so i think just having a more understanding of our natural environment and being able to you know for you know it's such a it's such an interesting thing to have these these real life encounters with either wildfires, droughts, you know, receding glaciers, but a lot of people are really far removed from that. So I feel to be able to bring our love for these places into, you know, into a household and being able to talk to someone about why these places matter and why we should protect them. So, yeah, that's another Another difficult aspect about climate change is like you said, a lot of people just hear stories about it, which are overly politicized both ways versus yeah. feeling the effects in their day-to-day lives. Yeah. Is there anything related to impact or sustainability that you're beginning to think differently about or didn't fully understand before? I mean, probably like you've heard from a lot of other people, but just the, you know, the rapid changes that we're going to have to make very, very quickly on this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we hear about, you know, 2030 and 2050 and these, you know, this percentage of uh, carbon that we're going to, you know, have to draw down. And we really can't move fast enough here and really get on board to change to renewables and to get to electric vehicles and to, to change the way we're living. Yeah, I, I mean, we're at a tipping point in terms of mass unchecked consumption. Yeah on our planet. So I think we're really going to have to draw it back a little bit and, and reel it in. What are you most stoked for in the rest of 2021? What are you looking forward to? Um, I'm stoked for the next generation and kind of following their lead. You know, I think back to all the information that's out there right now at our fingertips. I think there's a lot of valuable stuff out there. Um, yeah, I, I think really seeing where you know, Greta Thornburg, Extinction Rebellion, there's Protect Our Winners, a lot of folks out there doing incredible stuff. And I think all that information is is ready and, 
you know, for us to take it and, and run with it, you know, um, you know, kind of back to where uh, the POW dispatch is a really good one to get you information that comes out every week. Um, Future Earth has another good one. It's called Good News Tuesday. Um, Drilled, How to Save a Planet. There's, yeah. there's some great information out there. And yeah, I, I think I'm just really fired up and, and stoked to kind of keep um, learning and listening and, and bringing everyone to the table right now because we're going to need we're going to need everybody there 100 <laughs> percent. well thank you for yeah. us i appreciate you taking the time man and thanks for the work you're yeah, doing yeah. to protect our winners right on man i appreciate it thanks for listening to my conversation with forrest Shear. it's cool to see someone living out their dream and doing it in a way that aligns with their ethos while leaving the world a bit better Protect Our Winners has a full roster of awesome outdoor athletes and ongoing campaigns you can check out and support. To learn more, you can visit them at protectourwinners.org or follow them on social media at protectourwinners. And Forrest is at Forrest Shearer on Instagram as well. If you enjoy these conversations, please leave a review or pass it along to a friend. It really makes a difference. I'm just getting started and would love to hear any suggestions for future topics, guests, or feedback you may have. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.